0: I'm Tom from the Ballpark Bros. Here's Mike. This next presentation on the 4-Eyed Radio Network is brought to you by Revenge Lover. Stand out from the crowd. For more information,
1: visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off on your order. Hello, this is Steve. And this is Eric. And you're listening to the Cast. I'm declaring a state of emergency. All personnel restricted to base. Everything seen and heard in that room is top secret. Yes, sir. He didn't tell you what's inside the sphere, did he? You didn't tell him, did you? You didn't tell him what's inside the sphere. And how would you know that, Beth? I am not a warrior. Very soon, you will be. We're going to the jungle. Amy wants green drop drink. No. Amy wants green drop drink. All
0: right, all right
1: where they
0: were married God creates dinosaurs God destroys dinosaurs God creates man man destroys God man creates dinosaurs dinosaurs eat man woman inherits the earth
1: Welcome back. Eric, are you ready to time travel? Oh, yes. I believe that it is core that we talk about this. Beautiful. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening again to the Crichton Cast. Uh, Today we are talking about timeline, which you obviously know since you hit play on the episode. Uh, But we've got to tell you, at least for me. This is my favorite Michael Crichton book. This book made me think differently about time travel. And before I even got into this book and reading it when I first read it, I was already in love with, you know, knights and shining armor and medieval times and things like that. So this book hit everything for me when I was younger. What about you, Eric? Yes,
0: absolutely. I, this is one of my favorite books. Not just one of my favorite Michael Crichton books, but one of my favorite books. Um, just in in general, I mean, it's just so well written. You get the the combination of the science and the the sci-fi and the time travel and and the interestingness of that and the technology. But then you also get the the past world, the medieval world, and uh, that sort of thing. And when this came out, I was actually active in the SCA, which, if you don't know what that is, the Society for Creative Anachronism, which are uh, medieval recreationists <laughs> so um, oh, okay <clears throat> yeah it's uh, definitely one of those books that that uh, like you said it just hit so many different points um and rereading it again this week for the show um didn't lose anything at all uh still a fantastic book i hadn't read it in quite some time so i was worried that I would come come back to it and, and be like, oh, it's not as good as I remember it. Um, no, no, it's still just as good as I remember it, and uh, I will end up reading it again in the future, guaranteed.
1: Right. No, it definitely is um, between it and some of the other Michael Crane books, it's the one that's very well worn. Uh, it's been read multiple times and will be read again. I, You know, I loved about and Michael Crane has to love the fact that he wrote this in the late 90s, 1999, and that he's seen so much change since he started writing in the 60s and 70s. But he does the same thing he does in all of his books. He takes whatever the latest kind of technology is and pushes it a little bit more. Jumps just enough that you don't know if it's real or fictional or what's going on there
0: what it does is it spurs you to to want to do the research after the fact to find where the line was between the science and the fiction because that's one thing he does so well and in this book even more so than normal is skirt that line you know he, he gets right up to the line of what is actual and what is physically possible or at least theoretically possible you know based on the knowledge of the time
1: and then just takes that one extra step to tell his story, right? And I love it because he took those quantum computers and everything else that, and, and just and pushed it to where I want to know. And I haven't yet, but okay, have we actually like sent something from one place to the other? You know, have we done a three-dimensional um, uh, fax? You know, as he puts <laughs> it. <laughs> um, this is one of the things that I love the most. Though is this was completely different for me at the time. Take on time travel because it talks about how it's killing you. It's it's dist- it's it's taking you down and putting you somewhere else. And it's not about traveling in time at all. It's how time is not relevant it 's all the same thing i If you have not read this book, you need to read this book <laughs> just for that alone because it will open up your mind in the way he describes it of what time travel is in multiple universes
0: yeah the the idea of time travel, of course, is always a fantastic notion. I love time travel stories, even despite the fact that you know deep down I understand that time is a construct in our own minds. It's not a physical thing that we can travel within. You know, it's not something, you know, we are, uh, we are doing all the time traveling we are ever going to do right now, just moving from this moment to the next, to the next, to the next. That's that's it. That's the only time travel human beings are ever going to be capable of in, right. in, in, in actuality. However, this idea of the multiverse, this idea that There are possibly multiple universes adjacent to our own and constantly being spurned more and more and more of these to where there's literally an infinite number of these universes, some of which are close enough to our own universe to sometimes interact with ours, and that they're close enough to our universe that not only can they interact with ours, but they are, in all aspects, as far as we can tell, identical to ours. So the idea of traveling to these universes is much, I don't want to say more plausible, because I still think it's fairly fantastical to think about traveling between these, uh, these universes should they exist, but it's more plausible, I would say, still than actual time travel. The idea that some of these universes, while still being close enough to us, exist at a different point in history than us, so that if we were to travel to them, we would have the ability to see the past or possibly the future, depending on where those universes were in
1: relation to our own sense of time. Sense of time and universe, yeah. And that's what and that's what hooked me on this. But then this book is not entirely about the technology and computers in the future, like you know, certain books of his are bizarre. all of a sudden and really two thirds of this book is about fourteenth century or whatever France and it's a historical piece. And so now we're talking about a um um Historical and the computer future, so he doesn 't have to commit entirely and tell you an entire space thing or computer thing uh, because you 're getting a great history and what a wonderfully written history it is by uncovering all the different things and it 's really talking about how it 's more of a mortal danger you know it 's not the uh, knights in shining armor fairy tale endings type of thing
0: yeah exactly it's it 's pointing out that the the history we tend to to glamorize about uh, medieval times. Um, was not the reality of the situation. And that's something that most people who are into history of that time period do know that. Um, you know, the SCA, for example, I bring that up because they specifically state that they intend to recreate the good parts of the Middle Ages. They know there was bad stuff happening too. They're choosing actively to move past that and just recreate the the good stuff so that we can all everybody can have a good time. But essentially, it's a social club where people get together and they dress up in the fancy clothes and they recreate battles and everyone's chivalrous and all this kind of stuff. And you know they fully acknowledge and accept the fact that that's not how that time period actually was. They're just choosing to to glamorize the the parts that they like. And as long as you're willing to acknowledge and admit that, I think it's fine. Right. This book mm-hmm. takes a much more literal look. At the history and shows you a glimpse of what it probably was actually like, even though he himself, even throughout the book, um, you knew he had to take some leaps because he points out some places where we just don't know. So some guesswork still is involved here. Um, and he's kind of choosing to, I think, take it, uh, uh, you know, taking those guesses a little bit to the darker side than most most people usually do.
1: Yeah. No, it's true. And so what we have in the end is we have a combination of Eaters of the Dead with the historical and everything, and then, uh, you know... Jurassic Park with all of the technology and the adventure um, in this one novel, and this is what makes it one of my favorite novels. And he even says this is he got into writing this because he hadn't written an adventure story since Jurassic Park. And I didn't realize till recently when I was reading up on it that he spent twice as much time researching for timelines, specifically because of the history mm-hmm. and then of time travel, uh, than any other book except for Jurassic Park. So there was just there was so much time that went into this. Um, like I. I I I want to say something bad about this book, but I w- I would just be pulling a string. I can't <laughs> find like I, I, as I've we've got been talking and, and okay, good. Give me something, and let's see uh, if I can build off of it or not. He he, he called the snake poisonous again. Oh, God. That really <laughs> irks you, doesn't it? That really it like,
0: All the research that he does, all of the knowledge that I know he has, and, and being a medical doctor, too, and to still mess up the poisonous versus venomous thing, it drives me bonkers. And at least this time, it's only once in the book. It's not a repeated error. But, but literally, that's how, that's how nitpicky I have to get to find fault in this book. Quite honestly, that's that's how far I have to go to try to find something to say. I didn't like this about it because everything else is fantastic. The pacing is wonderful. It's a long book, but it doesn't feel long. It's right. broken up into enough segments uh, of where you're you're getting a little bit of what's going on in the, the quote unquote current world, um, and then you're getting the action of what's happening, you know, back in the past. In this alternate universe, and then you're getting, you know, you get a little bit, a glimpse back into the future, and you've got these rich characters that, uh, you know, for, for a book with this many characters, you'd think maybe some of them wouldn't be developed very well, and that's just not the case. You you right. get very good character development out of all of these main characters, and even some of the side characters get more development than you would get out of a traditional no- a novel, you know, you really start to feel like you know some of these people. You know, the the doctor who goes between Gallup and Albuquerque, uh, Sosi, like mm. you even you even feel like you're getting a sense of who this person is, even though she's
1: barely in the book. No, it, the same goes for the, uh, the sheriff, too. Um, you know, that's in the hospital making the calls to France and everything like that and trying yeah. to follow up. I mean, you you get a very good sense for these very subplot minor characters of who they are. Uh, there's so much great detail in this book, too, in the past, you know. Um, the uh, I love the scene. Um, what was it? They're making pastries or cakes or whatever, but they're looking like animal intestines and all these other weird things, and they're showing them to the king for this huge party he's going to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many great details there. The uh, the typical, like, uh, jousting thing, you know, the glove on the floor and throwing it down and challenging <laughs> each other. Things like that there in the book that, you know, y- you've got so much great story in there. But even, uh, like you said, the great story that goes back and forth between what we could say are present and past uh, with what's going on with trying to fix these glass walls so that mm-hmm. they can come back and not be in pieces. Yes, Um just absolutely fantastic and the
0: way that the characters are developed um, you really get a sense of who these people are and especially the main characters obviously you know you know and, and most novels you know do a good job of developing their main characters otherwise nobody would read the book um, right <laughs> but the fact that this novel does such a good job of developing not only those main characters but also the sub characters i mean even the even the couple this this older retired couple driving through the desert in search of uh Authentic Native American weavings, Native American rugs. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're weaving each other. <laughs> they're weavings, not rugs. Come on, <laughs> Like you can, you can yes. hear her. You can hear her saying that to him. They're weavings, dear. You know, it's it. <laughs> yes. oh, like you even get man. a sense of these people, and and they're just there to to push the. You know. To push the initial plot along, to introduce us to the first of the the major players. I mean, that's it. That's all they're there for. Yet you can still envision these people so perfectly. You can see this couple in your mind. This 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 man who's just like, okay, dear, whatever, and you know, just kind of going along with it. Um, <clears throat> and the woman who's kind of going back and forth between, oh, I want to get this uh, weaving, but oh my gosh, do we, we just hit? You know, like you you get this sense. Um, of these people, it's just absolutely fantastic. Just the way it's written is is amazing. Right.
1: Yeah. No. I uh, I completely agree, and you're right. The the characters, like all the graduate researchers and stuff, which there's a couple of name changes as we get into book and movie. That you know, I was trying to put but, that off um, as long as possible. Yeah. I I know. I. <laughs> The problem is I feel like if we continue to just talk about the book, it's just going to be this big fluff piece about how freaking amazing this book the is.
0: The entire episode is just talking about the book and then uh, at the very end. Oh, and uh, somebody, somebody made a movie about this, I think. Bye. There's a movie. So <laughs> click. End of discussion. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a lot of
1: changes between the book and movie uh, character-wise. Ooh. Um I'm going to raise my hand right now. I do have a question for you. Okay. So in the book, I was just thinking about uh, more stuff on the book because I don't want to talk about the movie yet. (laughs) Um, In the book, what is Doniger's, um, you know, with ITC, what is his main reasoning? It seemed like to me his main reasoning for creating this whole machine, because he's talking about how it's secretive and all this stuff, is because he wants to make, like, a Disneyland of historical parks type of thing. Because he bought up all the land around where they're digging up this old... um, Village and stuff like that, but what was your take from reading the book on why for Doniger's motivation? Yeah, what was his his motivation? It was greed. It seemed like like he wanted to create this thing, but there
0: was definitely that. Honestly, I think what it was was he wanted to prove that he could do it. Doniger is an interesting character in the book because he is this he's this genius who uh, from an early age, you know. you know, if you were to to diagnose it, he, he may have had Asperger's or something similar to that. Some, you know, very possibly somewhere on the autism spectrum. The way he's a genius with this 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 stuff, but very antisocial. He's not interested in other people's feelings whatsoever. Not empathetic in the slightest little bit. Everything is about him. And what can he do? And where you know, what can he accomplish? And so I think ultimately. Honestly, I believe the greed part of it as far as the money aspect of making this theme park where they're like, yes, the actual site itself is owned by the French government. And, you know, tourists will be able to go into the site either for free or for a small fee to, to the French government. However, his company is going to own everything around it where all the hotels and the restaurants and everything else is. Okay. I think that was just a matter of funding so that he could keep doing the science stuff.
1: So he keep doing the step ahead, the quantum computers, the whatever it was. Yeah. Because yeah,
0: okay. a main part of this book is him trying to secure more funding because he's he's always he's burning through cash, building this technology that's so secretive. He he hasn't shown anybody the technology yet, so they don't know what they've paid for and yet he's still trying to secure more cash.
1: Oh, well, that's true because he's trying to bring on more board members, um, you know, with their investment money and everything throughout the book. Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, he's talking about how, you know, if you want to be a part of what I'm doing, it's going to cost you a third of a trillion dollars. That's, you know, <laughs> or a third of a billion dollars, was it? I, either way, it was a, a heck of a lot of money for a buy-in. And uh, they, they kept mentioning they're just burning through cash because they don't have any revenue stream yet. So I think the whole bit about the, you know, turning it into, uh, he wanted the the actual park area, so to speak, to be authentic. But then he was going to own everything around it, be making money off of everything around it that that drew in, which is actually a, a really smart idea. You know, you get that authenticism as well as being able to make some money without turning it into, as they as they were constantly worried about turning it into medieval land, um, <clears throat> which we, we already have you know we already have these type of theme parks where as we stated you know they they take the the glamorous aspects and, and look at only those and they wanted to look at the real thing
1: right no okay I, I, that's kind of what i had taken from it too and um, but that, I was just curious because the point of view of the book you know is not any one single person and that's what probably what drags you even into liking a lot of the minor characters is your Hearing or you're reading through the eyes of everybody, the the yeah, cops, the um, old couple in the desert, everything like that. So do you don't it? it's see a, it's just a third like one person, but points. it's
0: third person's. Uh, it's a specific type of third person where you're you're getting the the thoughts and feelings of everybody as well. Um,
1: right, it's every third person uh, point of view. Um, omniscient. It's
0: the third person omniscient. Is how it's written. Yeah. So you you do get the the thoughts and uh, emotions of everybody, <clears throat> as well as the the storyline. You're not only getting the internal dialogue from from one person. You you get the internal dialogue from everybody.
1: Well, I hate to say it, but we probably have to talk about the movie now, don't we? <laughs> I mean, this was just too short to be a full <laughs> podcast. Um. All right, folks. I'm just gonna say it Let's... now. Read the book. Read the book. No, I don't know. Now we're gonna talk about you the got... movie. <laughs> You, you have two options here. You either read the book and never watch the movie, or you watch the movie and then read the book.
0: I would agree. If you are going to do both, then go ahead and watch the movie first. Right. Because um, yeah. at least then, <laughs> I, I mean, I can't imagine, I mean, obviously I had already read the book before the movie even came out, and I was excited for this movie when I heard it was being made. Mm-hmm. And then I saw who they cast in it, and I said, ooh, Really? Uh, I don't know about that. Listen,
1: don't you go talking crap about Paul Walker.
0: That man...
1: (laughs) I was talking about Gerard Butler. I can't stand that. No, No, I'm not. I'm talking about Paul Walker. Because Merrick is my favorite character in both the movie and the book. Absolutely. Uh, I do like him in both, yeah. And uh, and Um, Butler
0: did a fantastic job with what he was given, uh, with the exception of... uh, Paul Walker is not a strong actor.
1: No, Paul Walker is an amazing actor. He just took his character... And he used it as the exact same character in every freaking movie he's ever done in his life. Because his character in Timeline is the same character in Fast and the Furious. And the only reason he got in this is because he was on a high from Fast and the Furious and Too Fast, Too Furious and all those other stupid movies. But I will give him that he's consistent (laughs) (laughs) with his character.
0: Consistency is not the type of thing that acts as a uh, compliment in the world of acting. (laughs) Because no, the idea is no. that you're supposed to be able to be different people. Um, what? what what drove me nuts about this movie, more even than just Paul Walker's acting, was the fact that it seemed like everybody else in the film was bringing themselves down to be closer to his level. Because we have other actors in this movie who we know to be good actors. Right. You know, we've got Gerard Butler. We've got um, Billy Connolly.
1: Billy I, Connolly. I love Billy yes, Connolly.
0: professor. Mm-hmm. um Francis O'Connor <laughs> Anna Friel uh Neil McDonough uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right but I love that guy he's f- right. fantastic uh which bad guy w- in the arrow uh, and DC, uh, CW, DC DccW DCW universe whatever
1: right um, even Ethan Embry who is uh, everybody you're right I felt like had I to can actually only down.
0: ever see him as Rusty from Vegas vacation.
1: <laughs> Vegas vacation. I put a yeah. quarter in the See, slot,
0: Won a car. Put a quarter in the slot, want a car.
1: <laughs> but he's got a totally different character in the new show Sneaky Pete and in um what was the other movie he had done. But anyways, you know, he knows how to play all kinds of different characters at least. <laughs> and yes. he's got that going for him. Um like Gerard Butler, oh, that's what I was going to say. So like Gerard Butler, I feel like the screenwriter just had horrible lines. The ear line is the worst lying to me in this movie like it was so dumb when he gets his ear chopped off and it he has to tell everybody in the audience oh it's me like we didn't realize (laughs) that when you were uncovering the freaking stone especially those of
0: us who had read the book and wondered
1: why are they doing this at the beginning right (laughs) right why are you showing me all of that when this would it, it was so perfectly done in the book um, yeah, it was a stuff so they
0: found after the fact, and then they're like, "Oh my gosh, it's it's him," you know. And they could recognize first of all, they recognized the carvings
1: as being these two people. So um, there's another thing that bothered me with the movie. Gerard Butler points out how beautiful the woman is in that carving, but he didn't recognize her when he's rescuing her from the freaking <laughs> uh, um, Englishman. Yeah.
0: Uh, um, also annoying. While we're talking about Lady Claire the complete change of character between Definitely. who Lady Claire is in the book compared to who she is in the movie. They tried to make her a focal point of this whole battle when in the book she had this perfect character of sneaking around, doing all these these things just to try to save herself. And, you know, you, you get this swing where you're like, oh, you feel bad for her, and then you're like, oh, my God, no, she's working with the bad guy. And then you find out, no, 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 she's just working with the bad guy just again, save herself to try and save, you know... Like, you go through these swings with the character in the book. The character in the movie is just flat
1: and boring. Because the character in the book, you know, her husband just recently passed away under mysterious circumstances, and she's trying to get back to her home country, and she's going to get married off. and So she's playing, like, weaving so many dramatic things in the background in the book that's wonderful. And actually, now that you bring it up, she... It's probably got the most changes of any of the characters. I mean, there's other changes, you know, um, you know, uh, the professor and then Chris, you know, being father and son and everything like that. But her change was so huge and pivotal that it really changed the feel for everything, especially her relationship with Merrick then at that point.
0: Yeah, it made so much more sense in the book because you see Merrick see her and be like, oh, she's beautiful. And then see her doing what she has to do and being like, oh, she's smart, too. Now I'm really intrigued, which makes right. sense for that character. Whereas yep. in the movie, it just seemed like a lust at first sight, you know, taken all the way type of thing. Uh, where instead of being a more deep emotional connection that you really felt in the book, you know, even before they fully get together, you you get this sense of admiration that he has for her. And it, it really makes a whole lot more sense. Um, but speaking about the the, the Chris character... And how they, mm-hmm. the changes they did make, they not only made him the professor's son, which in the book they, they state that the professor has been kind of like a father to Chris since yeah. his parents died. Okay, so that's not a hugely, you know, you just eliminate that little bit of extra back end that you, you don't need. You just say, okay, you know, he is the professor's son. Okay, fine. I'm okay sure. with that in and of itself. But then they made him not a scientist at all. They made him completely disinterested in the archaeology. They made him this character who was only there because he was trying to flirt with the girl. That was his sole reason for being there where his father was. He had no other reason to be there. He was not an archaeologist. He was not a scientist. He was not involved. Did they do that because nobody would buy Paul Walker as a real scientist and archaeologist? (laughs) That's the only thing I can think of because it was such a dumb thing to do to the character. The character was so much more interesting in the book where he, he belonged in this group. And now it's just he's he's tagging along because he's Paul Walker.
1: No, and that's whoever wrote his character just really liked him in The Fast and the Furious because I, there was just too many similarities. And again, it's because he's the Is exact character. Is there any way character. we could
0: actually make an uh, undercover cop? I mean, I, I know it doesn't make any sense to this story, but could we do it? But could we figure because, this out?
1: He's already the girl, and yes, no. Um, There's going to be a scene in the 14th century where he
0: finds this horse cart, okay? And what he's going to do is he's going to take it into the garage, and we're going to have this montage of him souping it up with all these technical <laughs> parts.
1: <laughs> oh, man. I, you I, know, I can
0: just imagine them like storyboarding this and like somebody having to be in the back of the room going, no, just no.
1: To defend the movie, I will say that it you do have very strong characters written in the book. Like the three of these people, well, four if you include, um, what's-his-name that stays behind um, and helps fix the glass. You know, they are such great characters. It's really hard to do three strong ensemble characters in a film. And that's what needed to be done, you know, because they get split up right from the get-go in the book Mm -hmm. when they land. I, by the way, was really disappointed. I had forgotten in the book that... um, Gomez was a girl that gets beheaded in the book. And I totally forgot that until I reread the book. And I thought, Oh, that'd be great. But whoever wrote this definitely had something against women because two of the characters became men in the movies. So and Gomez was one of them.
0: Yeah. They, for some reason, uh, they just, that's, that's the, another change that you, you bring up Gomez. And um, so the, the, the military people that went back with the scientists in the book, they're both taken out immediately. One's beheaded. The other one is, you, you know, dives back and causes the ruckus back in the beginning. You know, okay, okay, good. That's that's what needs to happen. Um, why do we have the Gordon character tagging around, tagging along throughout this entire thing? Yeah, that wasn't in the book. No, Th- it this wasn't guy in the didn't book exist. at all.
1: Yeah, no, he he didn't exist. Uh he was added, I believe, for zero reason, because in the book it's perfect. The military guys are gone. You, well, you sent back these archaeological historians because they'll know how to figure things out. Well, now they have to, the three of them, rely on each other and figure it out. Yeah. Um, but you've got this other military guy that's still in there. And I think part of that is because they needed someone to have to tell them about... Um, um, Derek, or what was his name? left Decker. Decker. In, the, yeah, Decker
0: in the current world, uh, Robert Decker, in, yes. the, in the past world, which I thought the book handled this brilliantly. The fact that they figure out. That, you know, first of all, yeah, they, they did eliminate things in the movie that were necessary for the way they figured things out in the book. For example, in the book, they all had earpieces so that they could communicate with each other. They also served as uh, translators to, to kind of help them get by, considering uh, one thing they did not point out in the movie at all, that they just, they just kind of ignored in the movie, is the fact that in 14th century France, they did not speak any languages that are currently spoken today. So nobody would have understood them, and they would not have understood anybody, Right. with, a, with the exception of Merrick's character, who had, you know, for basically his entire life, intimately studied that period including the languages and could speak them and even he said you know i speak like a clumsy foreigner even though you know i would be considered fluent but here i sound like a clumsy foreigner um and the fact that they have this you know dilemma over okay well who is it you know we figured out that somebody's got to be here but who is it And we are given clues as the readers because we know, you know, it's previously stated in the book that they ask, is it Deckard? You know, so we know the name of the person who's stuck back there. And then we can make that leap, be like, oh, Deckard, Deckard, that makes sense. Okay. Um, And we're also given the clue of his scar, whereas the characters don't know. You know, they were specifically not told what a transcription error was before going back. So they wouldn't have seen that scar and thought, hmm, I wonder if that's a transcription error. No, they just assumed that, you know, it was a sword <laughs> wound or something like that. Um, so the fact that they had to try to figure out who it was, and they had these two suspects, they thought, based on different things, and they were, they were infighting about it within themselves, like, oh, no, no, it has to be this guy because of this. Oh, no, no, it has to be this guy because of this. And the, it, that added a level of tension you know, even after, you know, because we, like I said, as readers, get those clues a little bit before the, the characters do. And so sure. we're like, no, oh. no, it's like, oh, come on, you guys. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, no. And so, yeah, the, uh, in the in the movie, they just throw this this Gordon character in there. So they have somebody there who would recognize Deckard um, on site because that's the only the only other explanation.
1: Um no, we also throw in. Um, now that you mentioned characters, thrown in the uh, French kid that goes back. So there's actually four of them yes, that go back.
0: Now. They they add this character. Like, I, I believe France, the character was France, in the blah. book, but he never left the the site. Well, because he, he there was, was there in the, in the, b- at the dig, but he never left. Right. He did he not go the with them though. to ITC.
1: Right. Right. No, because it's just the four of them. The three that travel, traveled back, and the one that's the scientist that stayed. <laughs> yeah, that was. <went> <laughs> and in the
0: movie, they throw him in there. Like, hey, we're going to bring this guy back too. Why? So that we can kill him.
1: You might as well have put a red shirt on him and call it Star Trek, because, <laughs> yeah, you knew he was going to die in this. Uh, just... So that's my... Pro- that, that's I mean, we're really getting down to what the problem is with the movie. There were so many additions done to this, and there were... A, I, I guess when you think about it, that's really what the problem is. They added so much to it, and... They didn't, there wasn't a whole lot taken away. you know. Yeah, you took away the earpiece thing, but you added so much. You added more characters to it. You added more of these other things that didn't need to be there. There was so much great stuff to pull from, too much to pull from for a movie. I mean, the cave thing and the water and stuff like that, too, and you know, floating around in the dark. And there's so many details. Yeah. Uh,
0: oh, it's such a great th- scene, and instead they reduce it to... Oh, hey, look, we found this destroyed wood carving where we found the professor's glasses and his note saying, help me, which you know fires off the whole thing, which was awesome. And I'm glad they included, at least they kept that. But and then for them to just be like, oh, here's the secret tunnel we, everybody's been looking for. It's right here. Hey, everybody, come on.
1: But um, it, at, least, at least they kept that in. But you didn't have to keep adding all this other stuff. I mean, there's an entire scene with a... Uh, um, with the frickin' uh, in the river and the bridge and everything like that. Uh, um, what is it? Uh, um, oh, my gosh. I cannot believe I brought that up, and now I'm totally blanking <laughs> on the name of the big uh, wind uh, power. The the mill? Uh, the mill, yes. Yeah, Thank the, you, The, mill. the water-powered you know, mill, yeah. Uh, another great scene in the book that, okay, you could probably have to cut because of time out of the out of the movie. But again, I'm always expecting you're going to cut stuff out of a book to make the film because you'll never have enough time to get all those great details in. But the fact that you added unnecessary characters and you added these storylines or completely changed a character in the way of Lady Claire, um, th- that's why so much of this was ruined. And why? This was the last one that Michael Crichton ever did. Uh, you know, he swore he was never going to sell another thing. Um
0: Yeah, he he disliked this movie. (laughs) So if there's any consolation to you out there watching this movie thinking, oh my gosh, this was bad, how could Michael Cretton allow this? Your consolation is he himself did not like this film so much so that he refused to uh, sell any more of his books to be made into movies and that continued uh, throughout his life uh, yes it, it was only changed uh, recently when his estate did agree to sell pirate latitudes specifically to steven spielberg who you know ever since jurassic park spielberg and him had been good friends so um i expect that played into the decision to be like okay if there's anybody who can do it and do it right it's it's him so right. we'll we'll be okay with it yeah some of his disappointment might have been the fact that he really did not get paid for this movie.
1: No. Did you see? He, he sold the... He, well, he gave for free. the rights away. For free. He didn't away sell anything.
0: <laughs> with a deal to get uh, a back-end deal. Unfortunately, the movie cost $80, 90000000 to make and only made back about 45 at the box office.
1: Yeah. So it lost a huge chunk of money and he got nothing. He literally gave away all of his rights to the book to have it made as quickly as possible, which is why you have a difference of three or four years. Well, not even that. I mean, they had to do production right away. So it was, and, and the one movie was year.
0: supposed to come out in 2002. You know, yeah. It's original release date until... <clears throat> they 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 didn't like the original cut so they sent it back and then they didn't like that cut so they sent it back and then they didn't like the score so they sent it back and then the the guy who was doing the original score was dying so he couldn't do it so they had to get a different person to do the score um a lot of a lot of things thrown into the works here but yeah, the, the character changes, I think, are the worst thing. I, I expect cuts, like you said. Obviously, you have a book that, you know, I listen to the audio book, and if you listen to it at regular speed, it's 15 hours of audio. Now, I did uh, I was able to listen to it in one 10-hour work shift by uh, Audacity, or not Audacity, I'm sorry, Audible, has the ability to to change the playback speed. You can bump it up. And I was nice. actually able to listen to this book at two times speed, And it was actually uh, not distracting. Like, I was afraid at first. I'm like, okay, you know, I've done it with other books where i bumped it up to, like, 1.25, even 1.5. And it's been, like, right at the the cusp of not being listenable. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I want to see how long I can go listening at 2x speed. And I was very surprised that it did not change very much. And, in fact... I actually really liked it during the action sequences because it it made it feel more like when I'm reading the book and I'm like, all of a sudden, you know, the action starts happening and I start reading faster. And that's kind of the way it went when I was listening to it. Um, I will say the Doniger character, the voice that the narrator of the audio book did for Doniger... Was
1: hilarious at two times speed. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll be able to go back and, and re listen at two times speed. Then yeah. yeah,
0: listen especially at the beginning when Doniger's talking a lot. Oh man, it's it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, so it, you know it, it's definitely you know something. That it took nearly ten hours for me to listen to it at twice speed. So you're not going to be able to fit this entire story into a two hour movie. I, I get that, but why make the changes that you did? when you're trying to cut, you know why add things, why add bits of story? And you know, the changes they made to the characters were unnecessary. I felt, um, the Doniger character, you in the movie, he's not fleshed out enough for you to really hate him at the very end. You get a little bit of dislike for him, but not enough because when, you know, at the very end, when he's killed in a much nicer way than the book takes care of him, Mm -hmm. um, you, you almost feel bad for him. You, you almost feel a little bad for him. Whereas in the book, you're like, no, finally, yeah, get rid of this dude, gosh. Um, <laughs> one of the biggest changes between the book and movie that drove me nuts because I didn't understand, it didn't make sense from a time perspective. Okay. It wasn't enough of the storyline to cause any time disruption, disruption. But the fact that they made the machine... In the book, they figured out how to tune the machine, so they could go to these different universes at different times, oh. different places. They could, they were able to travel wherever they wanted. They had pictures of George Washington actually crossing the Delaware. They had video. Of Lincoln giving the Gettysburg Address, they had, uh, you know, there were rumors floating around that there were uh, secret markers made so that if you messed up at work, you would be sent back to Vesuvius or to, uh, you know, the the great earthquake uh, in Japan, you know, that you'd be sent back to these places to die where no one would ever know that, that you were ever there. And in the movie, they're like, we're locked into this region of France at this time. And that's why we're sending you back, because we want to know why.
1: We oh. don't know why we're locked to this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, it, it changed the entire motivation of why they were doing what they were doing. And it was a dumb reason to change that motivation. <laughs> like, I felt like there's no reason that that time, they saved no time by cutting that. You know, they and in fact, they may have added, you know, to have this whole explanation of we're locked into this time. And that's why we need you. We want you guys to go back. And that's why we're putting all this money into the research for your site, because we want to know why we're locked into this time.
1: Well, and that's so it changes Doniger's whole character because he's not near as mean or greedy in the movie as he is in the book, because in the book he wants to know why they're stuck there. And that's the only reason he really talks about how he has is paying for their dig
0: yeah it's it's a complete motivational shift that did not need to be I don't feel it saved anything, and it definitely took away from the technological aspect of it right. um, <clears throat> also the the way that uh <clears throat> things are are saved at the end you know, first of all, they cut the time quite a bit shorter you know when they're first sent back they're they're given the timer that shows how much well that's another thing they changed they were they all had markers with timers. In the movie. And then Mm. they, you know, one by one lose them until they're down to just having one left. Whereas in the book, they started with one because just the the team leader was the only one who needed to have a marker. Right. And then they discover that that person also had a spare just in case because that's a smart thing to do when you only have one marker. Um, And the timer was a completely separate device. The marker was not the timer and the timer was not the marker. And they also had, what, like 38 hours? in the book. Yeah,
1: 36, 38 hours, something like that, yeah. And in
0: the movie, it was cut down to like eight. Like, that's all they were given to to cram this story in. And I'm like, well, there's part of your problem right there. You know, granted, we don't need to see 36 hours of movie, but, you know, giving them that time explains how things can happen. (laughs) Whereas, when you try to shove it all into eight hours, it makes it so much more condensed without, I don't think, gaining anything. You know, you didn't gain any pacing, you didn't gain any action, it just It just wasn't good. Um, And then the way the Stern character plays out, um, it's so much better in the book. Again, you have this character who, you know, he wants to help. He wants to be there. But he, as a physicist, he is freaked out by the fact that they are literally being deconstructed to be reconstructed
1: somewhere else. Right, which I I would be too. That scares me. (laughs) He's like, wait a minute. So,
0: like, they're literally being destroyed and then reassembled someplace else and you know he realizes this and he he actually knows the science behind it it's like whoa you know what i'll pass but then when he realizes that his friends are prob- probably in danger he's like okay i'll do it you know and he's even willing to use the prototype device that, that he discovers that they have he's like okay i i will go back i will use this prototype device that's not even the final you know i'll do it and then the fact that he's the one that was able to come up with the idea to, to fix these shields that they had, which they didn't even touch on in the movie. They just had these big glass mirror things, and that's what broke instead of these uh, water-filled glass shields to prevent uh, electromagnetic interference from causing transcription errors, which makes so much more sense, I think, than just, yeah, we just threw some mirrors up because, you know, they look cool.
1: They look cool, and then we can (laughs) trap you in there, and then they can break, and then there's something we need to repair. But you know what? That is something in the book that I was a little bit annoyed with was um, the fact that I think it was two or three times that his character was thinking about tires and rubber, and he couldn't figure out why he was thinking about that. It was like I really, really wanted to scream at him like that was just way too much foreshadowing for what would need to happen to the glass containers for the water. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think <laughs> for was, my uh,
1: taste for me it was it was one too
0: many times mentioning that he was thinking about it. And then you're finally like, ah, I think I have a way, you know, because, you know, they mentioned previously that they have these big weather balloons that they've been using to, you know, check weather conditions and to send out these these devices and things. So it's like they exist. He knows they're there. And he's thinking about these tires. And he doesn't know why he's thinking about these tires. And later he's thinking about them again. He doesn't know why. But then last second he remembers why he was thinking about them. And he's able to. Save the day, which I mean that part I'm okay with, but yeah, it could have happened all at once. It could have been just him, like, bam, bam, even, bam. Even yeah, if just... it was last second, and he just thinks about it. it's like, hey, wait a minute, you know. Yes. We didn't. Right. A little bit of foreshadowing that we maybe didn't need, um, but it did speak to his character because he's the kind of guy who is always thinking about something. And I, I feel like in the book you got this sense that his character, he's always got thoughts floating around in his head that he's not quite sure why are there. And it's you know sometimes they coalesce into something that helps them out and sometimes they don't. And so while it was kind of uh, annoying as from a reader's perspective to be like oh come on put it together at the same yeah. time it totally fits the character. So yep. uh, you know I'm okay
1: with it. <laughs> no, me too. I, I I was and again I can't. I'm, I'm nitpicking at the book because I feel like I have to say something bad about it. You know so <laughs> there's my piece.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, it's. Fantastic book. I, I highly recommend reading it. Whether you've seen the movie or not, I highly recommend reading the book. I
1: do not recommend watching the movie. Um, oh, see, just... <laughs> I'm, I'm torn there. I honestly am, because if I knew nothing at all about the book, I had fun with the movie. If you're a fan of Paul Walker, that means you like all seven of the Fast and the Furious movies, or nine or however many there are now, <laughs> which means you'll probably love this movie. You'd be like, what are um, those guys
0: talking about? Paul's great.
1: Yes, so um, if that is you, you'll love this movie. But um, the the movie the movie was fun. I am very annoyed at what all they had to change to it. If I completely could remove myself from the book, I think the movie is fun. I I, I truly enjoy Gerard Butler's character, except for the line about the ear and him saying "It's me, it's me" type of thing. But um, but otherwise, like that was my favorite part in the book: the fact that he stays behind. Um, I love it more in the book that they stumble upon his gravestone at a different archaeological site. Yeah, it's years years later. um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's not something that they've already
1: found. Right, um, so I I truly like that. I I, I love the idea of the fact that Merrick's character is my favorite of the book because he's all about like he's already practicing jousting and working with swords and armor and all this other stuff. For him, like he's always loved that century, so it made sense for him. He he truly was not born in the wrong decade, born in the wrong century type of thing.
0: Yeah, they they give a little bit of foreshadowing very near the beginning of the book when they're introducing the Merrick character. They talk about how um you know he. He didn't want to grow a beard, and he said because it's not fashionable. And they said, "But what? You know, what are you talking about? Look around. You know, beards are the height of fashion. Look at everybody." He's like, "No, no. In my time, it's not exactly. fashionable." Because he considered his time to be the 14th century, and right. so you get that sense that you know what? If he goes back, he's, he's not coming back. Like if he has the choice, he's not coming back. Um, and of course, that's you know, it ends up being not really a choice. You know, it's it's kind of forced on him, but at the same time you know, you knew it made perfect sense. If anyone was going to get stuck back there, he's the one that was going to be able to survive the longest if he did it. Um, But even still, I I still can't, I can't in good conscience tell somebody, go see this movie. (laughs) I can't do it. (laughs) I can say, you know, if you're a completist and you want to have the full experience, um, if you haven't read the book, watch the movie first and then read the book. Um, If you've read the book and never seen the movie, I say I say leave it that way. Leave your memory of just the book intact. I mean we're talking about a movie. I'm looking at uh, Rotten Tomatoes. It has an 11%. eleven percent. <laughs> eleven. That's not good.
1: It's uh I know, I know. And Michael Crichton's yeah, and Michael Crichton's official website, <laughs> like except for the fact they have the trailer on it, he doesn't say a word about the movie. I know. I, I it's I, maybe I don't. I don't know what it is. I, I still say it's a fun movie. But you are right. I mean, it, you have to completely separate yourself from the book and the movie. It's and that's where I think I have a, such a hard problem with it. I wish. I really wish I would have watched this movie before I ever knew anything about the book. Just so that I could have had some kind of a fresher take on it. I I still think that because Paul Walker's acting is horrible, but that's because I've thought that in everything he's ever been in. Um, (laughs) I would still be annoyed at the same ear line that Gerard Butler has. But I think I would have loved the idea of the time travel because that's just a great idea. Even most movies fail horribly at their stories around time travel, but I just love the idea of it. It always will. So there's that. Um, And I love the fact that Merrick and Claire end up together and it's a love story because that is what Hollywood is. And so, again, that's something that the book and movie differs on. The movie is not about how real it is. You know, there was no jousting. There was no people immediately getting their heads cut off or anything like that, necessarily. Um, The movie had more of that romance of the uh, past and the romance of medieval time to it than it had realism of medieval time.
0: Yeah. And I, I just feel that there's other better movies out there for that. Um, you know, it, it has its moments. I will say the, if I knew absolutely nothing about the book, I think the scene in which we are introduced to Lord Oliver and Michael Sheen, I think is actually one of the, uh, the best actors, the best, the best actual acting jobs in this movie probably goes to Michael Sheen's Lord Oliver. The okay. scene in which they meet him and he kills Francois. Oh, yes. That scene, if, if you completely have no knowledge of the book whatsoever and the fact that this is totally bull, <laughs> that scene would be good by itself with, <laughs> without any ties to the book. So because it, there, yeah, I yeah. found one good thing to say oh. about the movie, sort of.
1: Okay, now i can let you end off the episode then <laughs> but that is true though yeah, um i do love the fact that he gets the guy to say i am a spy by translating his french for him and everything so uh yeah that that is a great opening scene for how we meet this uh king oliver lord oliver or whatever his name is so that's all i could say don't i i, I don't know i hate giving in but don't watch the movie <laughs> However, I will honestly probably never watch it again if it wasn't for the fact we were doing this episode I would not i mean i don't even i don't remotely own it. I rented it you know for two bucks or whatever and um it's gone now, and I will never think about watching this movie again <laughs> i i i won't I actually will go back because I found I liked it more um this time around and I'll actually watch um uh Thirteenth Warrior <laughs> again before I watch this again, and I hated Thirteenth Warrior the first time I saw it so
0: Though I do want to throw it out there, if there's anybody out there listening who loved this movie, or even just liked this movie, and they want to tell us why, please do. We are available on every possible format you can think of. You can visit our website at CrichtonCast.com. You can email info at CrichtonCast.com, or just click the contact button and fill out the form, send us a message. We've got a phone number you can call and leave us a voicemail at 802-Jurassic. We are on uh, Facebook, just Facebook.com slash CrichtonCast. We're on Twitter at CrichtonCast. Um, we're now on Instagram. Instagram is at the Crichtoncast because, oddly, our name was taken by an account that hadn't been active since, I think, 2003 or something like that. They saw timeline. Which, I said, forget this. Forget this. I'm not. Uh, I'm not doing yeah. this.
1: <laughs> never mind. This is a horrible idea. I know. <laughs> when I saw that was active, I actually had to think back. It's like, did I accidentally start creating it when we started talking about doing this like four <laughs> or five years ago? But then when it was in 2003, I thought, oh no, that wasn't me. Okay. Never yeah, mind.
0: <laughs> it, was, it was too far back. So uh, we are on Instagram, but it's at the Crichton on Instagram. But, uh you know, we will respond to people who communicate with us on any of those uh, social media platforms or on our website or email or voicemail. Uh, yeah, just let us know what you thought of this. If you agree uh, about the movie, if you disagree, if you disagree about the book, I'd love to hear why. Um, I'm not going to say you're going to sway us, but I'd love to hear why. If you hated this book, we'd, we'd love to hear from you just to, to, to talk about it.
1: I am open to everybody else's opinion. And so, yes, if you do want to tell us that you found something you hated about the book or annoyed you about the book, that's great. On the other hand, if you want to tell me how you think Paul Walker is an amazing actor and you love him, I'm not going to agree with you there at all. <laughs> so say all you want there, but I still think that that's a decent part of what ruined this movie for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, definitely the, the low point. And, and like I said, my, I, I really, truly believe that the other actors brought themselves down. Like, it's, I don't know if it was an issue of them actively being like, you know what, I don't need to put that much effort in because look who my co-star is. Or if it was uh, even more of an active thought of like, you know what, he's supposed to be the star, I'm not going to make him look bad. You know, it I just felt like, it it just didn't feel like we were getting everything we could have out of the, even the actors that were good. <laughs> so, right. um, yeah, that's where it yeah. stands. Absolutely love the book. Did not love the movie.
1: And now I feel like we're beating a dead horse. At least it's not a dead, bloated horse being thrown at us by a trebuchet. <laughs> yeah.
0: Covered in pitch and burning. Yeah, that would be bad. Hey, everybody. Eric here to tell you about a special promotion my charity, Comicare, is running. We are up for a challenge and we need your support. At Comicare, we spend all year traveling to hospitals and collecting smiles from children and their families and leave comic books behind to keep the smiles going. Well, now we want to see your smiles, and we want to post them on our pages, too. This July 20th through 23rd, we will bring Arizona Tony Stark to the San Diego International Comic-Con and take on one of our biggest challenges yet. We will have four days to collect as many pictures as we can of smiling supporters with Tony. How many can we collect? A 100? 300? 500? We'll run for the 1,000 mark, but you never know. Will you pledge a couple of pennies for each photo we collect? Just think, if you pledge just 2 cents per picture and we collect 100 photos, your donation will be $2. If we collect a 1,000... Twenty dollars. Either way, a small price to pay to be part of our continuing mission. We appreciate all your support in the past, and we know you will enjoy being a part of this adventure. So please visit comicare.org/1000smiles. That's c-o-m-i-c-a-r-e.org/1000smiles. Visit our page, click that pledge button, and throw us a couple of cents per smile.